right, well, good evening. It's good to see you. It's always so special to be here and at the nighttime, the evening. Uh, this is one of my favorite services that we have all year, and so I'm really glad that you're with us tonight. It's uh, one of my favorite services, not because it's particularly happy or cheery or lighthearted, as you've probably already sensed in our time together and the songs that we've been singing and the scriptures we've been reading. It's a pretty somber evening, a pretty reflective time where we're we're honest, we should be quite heavy-hearted as we come to reflect on the death of Jesus Christ. Right? Good Friday, we come to look at the cross and the death of the Son of God, the darkest day in human history. And so it's natural that we would come with uh, heavy hearts and uh, reflective spirit as we're in this space. And we really come to consider, as we look to the cross, what does it mean? What sense can we make of it? Such a horrific, awful, awful Good Friday, so many years ago. So much has been said about the cross. So much could be said about the cross. We could speak for days on end about its meaning and significance, but my hope tonight is fairly modest. I want to just really simply point us to the heart of the matter and two big takeaways, two big truths that we need to remember and think about on Good Friday. And you saw them both in the passage that Kathy just read for us from Romans chapter 5. I want to read it for us briefly again and then walk through it together. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6 says this, says, you see it, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, two big takeaways on Good Friday, and the first is this, the reality of the human condition. You see the way it describes human beings, the way the passage describes us. It's not very flattering, is it? You see words like in verse 6, we were powerless. Maybe your translation says we were weak. We were unable to do anything to save ourselves. Verse 6 continues, not only were we powerless, but we were what? We were ungodly. Verse 8, we were still sinners. In verse 7, you see what it's doing? He's saying maybe someone would die for a righteous person. Someone would possibly dare to die for a good person. But what God has done for us is entirely different. And the implication is that we are not good. We are not righteous. And kind of the icing on the cake as you keep going, Kathy read verse 10 that said we were what? We were enemies of God. So we're weak, ungodly, powerless, sinners, not righteous, not good, enemies of God, running the opposite direction of God. 
We made ourselves rebels and we stand opposed to God's work, to God's purposes. And we'd rather do things our own way. Thank you very much, God. We're going to go over here. Again, it's not very flattering. It's not a very flattering picture of the human heart of human beings. And yet, I think if we're honest, we know that it's true. As we look at our own lives, our own hearts, we've seen the depravity of sin wreak havoc in our lives. I came across a study this week that found that two-thirds of Americans, 67% of those who were asked, admitted that they were sinners. I actually thought that number was quite high. Two-thirds, 67%, almost 70% of people. This is not churchgoers or Christians. This is just Americans, just people in general out there. Almost 70% of them said, yeah, I'm a sinner. Now, they varied wildly in what they should do about that or whether that was much of a problem at all, but they at least recognized the majority of people could say, you know what? Yeah, things in my life probably aren't the way they're supposed to be. I do things that I shouldn't do, and I want to do good things, but I find myself unable to do those things. There's something off in my heart. Something is not quite right. I found that so interesting that such a high number of people would say that despite the constant cultural messages that get sent that really, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with you, you're great, you're a good person, all we need to do is really remember how awesome you are, like that's the solution to your problems, to just boost your self-esteem, remember that you're amazing. But what we see in Scripture flies in the face of that. And so maybe instead of trying to avoid this hard truth or deny it or sidestep it, maybe we should acknowledge it, that Scripture teaches it quite clearly, quite plainly. And now, it's not saying that Jesus died for the ungodly and that that's like a, a small percentage of human beings, like the really bad ones, Jesus died for them, or Jesus died for the sinners, which is not most of us. You know, that's, that's not what it's saying, because Scripture says universally, we all have sinned. This is the human condition without exception. We've all gone astray like sheep and turned to our own way. Every one of us, no one can stand before God and declare to be righteous. And the Bible continues and says that that's actually bad news because there's consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings death and puts us under the righteous judgment and wrath of God because of how we've turned from him and broken his commands and tried to do things our own way and frankly made a mess of the good world that he gave us to steward. And so this truth is central to Good Friday because when we look at the cross and consider the work of Jesus, we're getting a picture, a glimpse of what we deserve as sinners, death, judgment, shame, separation from God. We see this in the cross of Christ. And if we don't take this seriously, if sin is not a big deal to us, then Jesus isn't really a big deal to us. Right? If sin is not a massive problem, then Jesus is not a massive savior. 
And so our view of Jesus is he is directly related to our view of sin. It's that serious. And again, we know this is true. If we owe a small debt, we owe someone $5 and we can't pay and someone gives us $5, well, we'll be grateful that now we can pay that small debt. But if our debt is massive, thousands of dollars, and we're about to go to jail because of that debt, and someone steps in and says, I'll pay that for you, we'd be more than just a little bit grateful, wouldn't we? So if we understand that our debt is massive and sin is a huge problem, then we have a huge Savior that we need. And so when we come to the cross on Good Friday and look at Christ, we do see our need, but Romans 5 doesn't stop there, does it? Scripture doesn't stop there with the bad news. In fact, if it did, we'd have to change our signs outside, wouldn't we? Because our signs say we have some good news. But if we stop here, all we have is bad news. But the passage continues. Scripture gives us more, and Good Friday is about much more than just our sin, because we see on Good Friday, yes, our sin, but even more, we see the love of God for the world. Isn't that what verse 8 says? God demonstrates his love for us. In this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here tonight, you doubt God's love for you. You wonder if God could love you. Since God knows the things you've done, the places you've been, could God really love me? And yet this passage on Good Friday would say, yes, he does. He can love you. He does love you. And it says what? He showed us that. He demonstrates his love. He shows it to us. He proves it. He helps us see it in a visual way when we look at the cross through the death of Christ. Because on the cross, we see again Jesus taking our place so that we would not suffer the consequences of sin and death and judgment. But Jesus would. And that's where the language of for us is so important. You see it in Romans 5. You see it elsewhere in Scripture. Jesus died for us. Two little words. Extremely important. Because we don't just come to remember the cross, just this tragic day, this Jesus, he was killed. Wasn't, what a shame. You know, we see the, the sin of human beings. We wrongfully killed this uh, amazing teacher, this amazing man. I mean, we absolutely do see those things, a tragedy in the way that we killed Jesus on the cross. But we see so much more than that. His death was not senseless. It had a purpose and a meaning. It says he died for us. This is the hand of God at work. He died for us, meaning in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute which is what makes the cross of Christ the greatest act of love in the history of the world. Because he died so that we could live. He took judgment so that we could receive mercy and grace. And you see this in verse 7 in Romans chapter 5. What does it say? It says, someone maybe would dare to die for a righteous person. Very rarely it says, will anyone die for a righteous person? Though for a good person, someone might possibly die. 
right? It's, it's, it's rare, but maybe if there's a noble person, there's a good person in your life, maybe someone would be willing to give up their life for them. If someone earned it, someone did enough good things and was a big benefit to society. But verse 8 says, but what God has done is entirely different than that. Because he died in our place for sinners, not those who were shiny and all put together and had it all figured out. Needy sinners. He loved us. And this is the heart of the gospel isn't it? Someone put it this way. The gospel tells us that you are more sinful than you could possibly imagine, but you're more loved than you could possibly hope. Both of those realities are true. And so when we look to the cross, we see the love of God displayed in sacrifice for our good. Which if you think about it on a human level, this is how we see love demonstrated as well. If you think about your relationships, your friends, with your family members, with your spouse, it's one thing to say, I love you. And it's certainly nice to hear that. But it's another thing entirely to, to show or to demonstrate that you love someone through action. Right? If someone does something for you that you know is costly, it costs them significant time, money, thought, effort, whatever it may be, well-being. They do something that is costly. It reminds you, wow, they, they don't just say that they love me. They were willing to do this for me. At great detriment to their own well-being, they must really care. They must really love me. So God shows the world that he loves them, that he loves us through taking our place, through dying on a cross for us. And so it's my hope tonight as we prepare to take communion and, and sing another song or two and then head out, it's my hope that we would leave tonight, yes, heavy-hearted, aware of our sin, repentant where necessary, convicted where necessary about how we have sinned, appropriate grief over that, I think is, is due, but at the same time, I would hope that we would leave tonight completely amazed at the love of God, overwhelmed with the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God, our Savior, because that that's what Good Friday is all about. That God, the person of Jesus Christ, died for us so that through faith in him, we could be forgiven and have peace with God and know him forever. In just a minute, we're going to take communion together. Before we do that, though, I just want to leave a couple minutes of time for reflection so we're just going to sit here in, uh, in silence. Or if, if Ryan wants to play piano for us, that'd be great too. And I just want to give us some space. We don't always take enough space just to sit and reflect. And especially as we prepare for communion and think about the cross, I think it's good for us to take a moment and to sit with the Lord. And so I encourage you to sit with God 
And in light of what we've just looked at in Romans chapter 5, confess your sin where necessary. Confess your sin before the Lord and thank him for the way that he has saved you and what he has done for you on the cross. So again, I encourage you to sit with God and in the quietness of your own heart, spend some time with him while Ryan plays and then we'll take communion together in just a couple minutes. We're going to now celebrate the Lord's table together, take communion. Uh, Here we practice an open table. So if you've put your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward and participate with us. Uh, Through this act, we take the elements, the bread and the cup, representing Jesus' body and blood, broken and shed for us on the cross. And so it's right and appropriate to, to remember this today on Good Friday, 
as Jesus told us to, as he took the elements that last night with his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. So I invite you as you're, as you're ready to come and, and partake. And one, one last truth about the table that we should know on Good Friday is that Good Friday is about more than just a, a legal transaction that takes place, a cold, impersonal payment for sin. It, it is a payment for sin. We're justified through faith. But as we come to the table, remember that the bread and the cup are, are symbols of, of fellowship, a meal that because of Christ's death on the cross, we can be reconciled to God and come to the table, come to his table and have fellowship with him and eat with him and know the Lord forever. So with that in mind, would you come and join us for communion?